Hey, it is Monday evening and we are ready for episode three of Chapter Chat. This is our online book club. So anyways, we're going to wait for Michael to join us so we can uh, begin our um our third episode. I'm super excited and we have a few people joining us. This is awesome. Let's just see here. Michael should be here any minute. Hello, hello. Oh, this is wonderful. Oh, there he is. Okay, let me let me get him in here. Okay, send request. Fighting you. So I hope you've all had a great Monday. Um, one of the things that Michael and I have been talking about. Here we are. Here we are. Hey, hey, here hey. Here we are. Part three. I'm I, I know I'm so excited. I was just telling everyone that one of the things you and I keep like messaging each other is that Monday used to be like dreaded, you know, like exactly be like, oh, my gosh, tomorrow's Monday. And now you and I are like all weekend. We're like, it's almost Monday. <laughs> the best day of the week. So so much of my free time now is thinking deeper. Like when I first read this book, I read it. I enjoyed it. I read it yep. like, as a fan, as someone who was interested but now I'm really reading at it and I'm like thinking about every sentence, thinking about every paragraph. Like, what did I underline? What do I need to think about? And I'm thinking about it more in my free time, trying to yeah. break it down. And we're really thinking about big picture here. Like, I'm not, I'm not just reading it just to read it. I'm thinking big picture. How can we take all of the great work that Paul Tuff did here and apply it? Uh, and it's, it, it's, it's this, this chapter, this chapter tonight. This is a, this is a hefty one. Whew. It is. And it's you know a lot. It was long. I mean, I, I yeah. because like you said, we're reading it with more, um, I guess, um, not just passion, but with we're more on a mission, I guess, this time, because we both read the book already. And so as I take notes, I just scribble. But I had five pages of notes from this yeah. chapter. And so um, I thought what I'd do real quick, Michael, before we start, is in case there are a few people who maybe haven't seen um, any of the first two episodes, I just kind of think... You know, there's three main points that we've really discussed so far in the introduction and in chapter one. We mm -hmm. talked about cognitive hypothesis, which is exactly. this idea that the sooner you start working on academics, the better off, you know, children are going to be. And so that was something that we talked about, um, which led to chapter one, where we talked about this high stress um, that begins now in early childhood. We talked about grade inflation. We talked about the allostatic load, which is what Paul Tuff talked about in here, which is um, the, the, the allostatic overload, um, which is difficulty managing stress. And the thing that blew my mind last week was that the part of the brain most affected by allostatic overload is the prefrontal cortex, which is where all the executive function develops. So that then led us into our discussion of, you know, in, in chapter one, they talked about, you can throw all the money you want at schools. I mean, they mm -hmm. gave a case study in Chicago in the poorest school district and, you know, school in Chicago threw millions at it. NASA got involved through millions and it did nothing. It did nothing. So this is why you and I are so passionate because we're not asking anybody for more money. We're not suggesting that, you know, we need more money. What we're suggesting is we need to refocus. And instead of looking only at IQ and only at academic success, we are suggesting that we need to start looking at executive functions as well. Absolutely. So the number one thing that I'm really keeping in mind as reading this book and then the overall theme is this idea of this cognitive hypothesis, which is just pushing academics, pushing scores, and everything else sort of trickles down from this theme, from this curriculum of the cognitive hypothesis. So we start with cognitive hypothesis, which we talked about, which was fueled by changing in parenting techniques, 
fueled by you know, businesses, big business and, and capitalism and all and mm-hmm. baby Einstein and all these things. Right. Uh, and all, all from that comes the high stress and it comes also with a massive waste of money. You know, when we hear about schools, when we hear about educators, when we hear about therapists that work in schools, all we ever hear is we have no funding. Right. Teachers, teachers are underpaid, all of this. This book is basically a case study for all the money that has been wasted in education. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, a, it's an unbelievable case study for what's happening, why it's not working, and what needs to be done. What's, right. imp- what's important and what's not. And it's unbelievable. The more I read this, you really just recognize how complete ass backwards everything is. It's un- it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's we're unbelievable. Going the wrong way. Going I, the I, wrong way. We're going the wrong. And look way. what arrived today. Yeah, you got it. That's Finally got point. it. And our this is it. I like the more I read how children succeed, the more I am excited to read this. Yes. Because this is reading about a successful. Yes. country with education yes. and i am super excited to read this and they went from the bottom to the top, to the top. Yes. If, if they can do it we can do it and it, and guess what it's starting on monday nights that's right that's right <laughs> okay so we're episode three we're actually on chapter two of our first book of our new book club and it's called how children succeed by paul tuff if you don't have it yet it's like 10 bucks on amazon uh, michael and i both highly recommend it it has been a fascinating read and what we're doing with our new book club is doing the hardcore part for you um we're all busy and our lives are crazy and so we don't i always have time to read um mm-hmm. michael and i talk about all the reference books we have on our bookshelves and how i haven't read half of them you know I buy <laughs> them because i'm like on a mission to read them so this is what we're going to do we're going to read a chapter a week for you guys and uh analyze it and then get your feedback you know get your questions and hopefully make this as interactive as possible so if you're ready michael we're going to jump into my dogs are having a little little attack somebody <laughs> um uh we're gonna the, the joy of working from home right that's right so um we're gonna start with chapter two and you know this whole chapter was about character character, character traits exactly so so this book is is you know reading this book as a clinician is really interesting because you know they really use so many different terms to describe the same thing. Yes. So characters, <laughs> executive functioning. This mm-hmm. chapter takes a deep dive into uh, conscientiousness. Yes. And which is basically, you know, the growth mindset. Right. And it, it's all under the same bubble. So right. if you're if you're reading this book along with us, and I hope you are, and please comment and please ask your questions. Let's get mm-hmm. the community uh, more involved. Uh, overall, the number one thing to think about is executive functioning. This book, I, I, I have my notes here, it, you know, character strengths, learned optimism, mm-hmm. you know, learned optimism is the growth mindset, you know, it is. period. Yeah. It's the growth mindset. You know, they're just, you know, it, it's basically what Paul Tuff here does is whatever author he's talking about. He goes with their words their that they words. use. Yep. Exactly. So when he's talking about Carol Dweck, he talks about the growth mindset. Right. When he's talking about Martin Siegelman, he's talking about learned optimism. That's right. Uh, That's when he's right. talking about uh, Angela Duff- Duckworth, he's talking about conscientiousness and That's character right. strengths. So it's really just, it's all executive functioning. Yes. And, and if you're in a school and you're sick and tired about hearing about executive functioning, 
Uh, if you're a parent and you're sick and tired about hearing executive functioning, guess what? You're going to start hearing it a lot more right, because right. this is the foundation to every, everything, to it literally is. everything. And it's what America's doing wrong, what yeah. it's not focusing it's on. It is, it's, what, it's what's been missing. Yeah. So th this book likes to take deep dives into individual viewpoints, uh, different vocabulary, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. This book has a high TTR, if you know what I mean, high type to type, type token ratio. So, <laughs> so this, so, but it's all the same thing. It's all about executive functioning, period. And this book, you know, this chapter here is it's a heavy hitter, and I I uh, connect very emotionally to this chapter yeah. because I've worked before in Philadelphia KIPP schools, and on the flip side of thing. I also did some work with Riverdale Country School in Riverdale. So I, I went, my undergrad school was Manhattan College in Riverdale. And wow. I, I worked at a summer camp on the campus of Riverdale Country School. And it's just, it's literally. And that's literally... talked about in this book. The, yep. the schools that uh, Michael is talking about, mm -hmm. he's had experience at and worked at, they are some of the case studies that Paul Tuff references. So this is exactly. really cool. This is cool. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, Michael lives in Pennsylvania. I live in Kansas City, Missouri. So we've never met each other in person, but we're like besties. So um, can't wait. It's... That's going to be a good When that finally happens. That is going to be the best day it of is. all time. It is going to be the great. Star, I, the stars will align. I can't wait. So I'm going to read you something that I took notes on because when they talked about character, one of the things that I did is I was like, okay, I, I wanted to see what they meant by character because like you said, they use many different terms for it. So I really mm -hmm. like this. It's a set of abilities or strengths that are changeable, skills you can learn, skills you can practice, skills you can teach. That comes from page 59 in the book. And the reason I think that's so important, Michael, is because we could change that word to executive function. We can, you see Beautiful. what I mean? They use Beautiful. the term character, but I am telling you, as I read this, I had all over my notes, I would have said EFs there. I would have said executive function there. I wouldn't there call you go. it character traits. No. I wouldn't call it non-academic, you know, that was another term they use, non-academic skills. Non-cognitive. Like therapist, non-cognitive skills. Yeah. We hear these things, soft skills. Do you know what I mean? Like you hear that term sometimes. Why don't we call it what it is? So I really like the idea that we are talking about a set of abilities or strengths that are changeable, skills mm -hmm. you can learn, skills you can practice, and skills that can be taught, right? So there you go. you and I can teach. So to there me, you go. what this leads to is this whole idea that we have to stop thinking that success in school is about academic rigor. Because that's exactly what it is right now, right? It's yep. about AP yep. classes, advanced placement classes, and it's about teaching three-year-olds to read and write, and write this whole idea of grade inflation. But it's not uh, grade inflation. It's not about academic rigor. What we're going to talk about, and this is what this whole chapter, this very long chapter was about, is it's these character strengths or executive functions, if you will, that are necessary for success, not just in school, but success at home, success in life, right? Isn't that what this is really all about? Isn't that there you what education go. is about, is preparing children for life? And if you look, page 59, I had about a whole list of stars <laughs> right <Yep>. there <laughs> under what you just said. So if you come away from anything from this chapter, so yep. each chapter has like a couple of bullet points that Carrie and I are really highlighting and we're going to continue with all the different books we do. This is just the beginning and this is, this is going to get bigger and bigger. But right now, if you come away with one thing, this, uh, all of the, you know, he's talking to Angela Duckworth from University of Pennsylvania, an amazing school, all of these incredible people, the number one thing, there you go. The number one thing that you need to take away from this chapter is that 
it has been proven and it has been discussed by these unbelievable researchers that executive functioning, the, the set of abilities of executive function skills are very much changeable, entirely malleable, malleable. In fact, they are skills you can learn. They are skills you can practice. They are skills you can teach. That's right. Period. Period. That's right. And all the research shows IQ is highly hereditary. Mm-hmm. And, this, and this cognitive hypothesis is trying to push 100% of the population into AP classes and mm-hmm. honors classes into 4.0 GPAs. But we now know executive functioning, and we discussed this in the last chapter, the prefrontal cortex is the most plastic part of the entire brain. Thank so, goodness, right? There you Thank go. Thank goodness. Neuro, neuroplasticity, period, is, if, if there was no such thing as neuroplasticity, there would be no speech therapy, there'd be no occupational therapy, right. there'd be no physical therapy, there'd right. be nothing but manual labor, basically. Right. So the, overall, the prefrontal cortex is the last part of the brain to develop. And it's not Going well from back to front. fully developed until what, mid-20s? Yeah, 25, 26 years why, old. And yeah. I hate to interrupt you, but that's why your kids' um, uh, auto insurance goes down when they turn yeah. 25. There's a reason yep. why State Farm, your rates get lower when you turn 25, okay? It's because more of you, you're, you're not as impulsive, right? That's part of the executive function. You have more self-control, right? You plan ahead. You think about consequences. So, of course, State Farm and Farmers Insurance, they're going to charge less once your executive function, once your prefrontal cortex is more fully developed. So, basically, State Farm uses more research on the human brain than the Department of Education. That's... Think about that. Think about that. That's crazy. It yeah. Really is. So there you go. So State Farm changes the way they do things based on brain development. Risk analysis. Based right. on risk analysis, risk analysis. But the Department of Education, which is literally spending more time with kids than, than most parents, uh-huh. is not doing what's right for these kids based on their brain. And here it is, a book you can buy for 10 bucks, yep. saying executive functions matter. Executive function is how kids succeed. Yep. They can be taught. They can be learned. The brain is plastic there. And right. tell, me, tell me right now, when you went from first grade to 12th grade, was there ever a single lesson on self-control, on mental flexibility, Mm-mm. on delaying gratification, Mm-mm. on social reciprocity? None of that. Nothing. Every day it was, it was history, science, right. all of this. There is never time for the teens of today. We know that Carrie had the most unbelievable post of all time, and it ends with play is disappearing. That was so today's these, post. That, so there you go. So kids today do not get what they need outside of school. So if schools don't change immediately and give kids what they need, I am very concerned for this generation because, you know, we talk about it all the time. After school, we'd go out with our friends. We had no GPS. We had no cell phones. We would have experiences that strengthened the plastic frontal lobe, period. So if, if if schools don't change immediately based on the work that we're doing, if schools don't change, so uh, I got my diploma in a Middle Eastern country. We had no lesson about emotional regulations. Right, okay, right. there you go. So, so and that's another thing. It's not just thing. America. Right? It's not just America, but our beef is with America right now. Right. So, that's our beef. Yes. <laughs> but right now, this is it. It's all about you know recognizing you know if executive functions are plastic, if executive functioning can be strengthened, why are we not teaching this in schools? That's period. Right. 
Yeah. So one of the things, because um, I kind of, in my notes, I kind of broke it up into four sections, but I really liked how they talked about, so we talk a lot about motivation and, you know, in chapter one, you know, the words grit came up, yep. and resiliency and persistence. And what I found so fascinating, um, it started on about page 64 through page 68, is they talked about motivation alone is not enough. There are a lot of kids who are motivated, but they're missing the other component, which is what they call volition. I think mm -hmm. a more, an, an easier word to understand um, is willpower, right? It's that ability to follow through with a plan, right? To finish what you started. So just because you're motivated doesn't mean you're going to have any success in life. There's a lot of motivated people out there who go, I want to lose weight or I want to make more money or I want to start a business. But if you don't follow through, which requires all of that requires executive functions, right? To be able to, 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 to plan and organize and think about what comes next and how are you going to get all those steps done? So I really thought this was powerful. The motivation without willpower does not lead to success. And here's one of the issues. Motivating people is hard to do. Okay, there you so go. motivation isn't enough. And on top of that, it's hard to motivate people. Why? Because different people respond to different motivators. Not Absolutely. everybody responds to the same thing. So what that then leads to was this whole discussion of, on page 68, of self-motivation or intrinsic motivation, right? Um, mm -hmm. Can you motivate yourself? Because if you're relying on a teacher, relying on a parent to motivate you, 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 you may not be able to, to, that person may not be able to do that. So what we have to ask is how can you force yourself to care? How can a kid force him or herself to care about school, about schoolwork, about homework? So what really, I, and I love it, they came back to it again on page 92. Motivation alone isn't enough. They need the fortitude to follow through. And it reminded me of this term, and I don't know if you told me this term or if I read it somewhere, because I don't think it's a real word because my spell check hated it, but it's stick with itness. Yeah. The yeah. stick with it, yeah. right? Yeah. The ability to um, stick with something to see it through to completion. And so um, that KIPP, the, the Knowledge is Power program, the KIPP uh -huh. school that you are talking about, um, their, their school motto, are you ready, guys, for this? Their school motto is one school, one mission, two skills, academics and character. What there I would go. do, and I think Michael would agree, is we would change it to two skills academics and executive functions right there you and go we can make that beautiful happen because there's no way we'd ever say in education that academics don't matter at all i mean that's, of that's ridiculous michael and i are not suggesting that but what we're saying is we have to move away from academic rigor from pushing kids to the point of stress to the point where they're shutting down altogether, where they hate school where they hate learning um one of my favorite sayings and i post it multiple times on social media is that as long as there's joy in learning children will always love to learn there but what happens is when we pluck the joy out of learning and we turn everything into work, um, drill work, boring, meaningless worksheets, you know, repetitive things that have no place in life. Um, you know, what happens is kids stop loving to learn. So yep. um, every child is a sponge. And what we have to do is keep them um, wanting to soak up knowledge, wanting to soak up information. And so um, it's fascinating to me because when we start talking about the character traits, um, uh, it, it really leads into that. So um, what do you Absolutely. think about that motivation piece, Michael? So the number one thing we talked about before was this is a book of synonyms. This is a book of constantly using different words uh, and replacing them with, the, with other words. Uh, so volition, so they use the word volition, but what's the real executive function word besides volition? Do you know? Uh, it's, initiation? It's resiliency. resiliency. We're talking about the resiliency. Resiliency is, is, is the ability to continue. You have a goal. 
you have the motivation can you be resilient and persist in that resiliency that's the number one resilient. that's the number one thing so so i and i also mentioned before that you know i'm reading this book with a whole new set of eyes this time <laughs> and do and doing this chapter chat has just completely revived me and has gotten me so passionate about this topic that I'm reading it. I feel like I'm reading every single letter, like just, just really just loving it. So, but, and then uh, what I'm also doing in my free time now, because I'm loving this so much, is I have been listening to interview after interview after interview with Paul Tuff, the author. The author. Okay. So I've been listening to so many interviews with him. And one thing I constantly hear him saying is, we found the problem. We found the source of the problem. The source of the problem is the cognitive hypothesis mm -hmm. and executive functioning is ignored in schools, mm -hmm. but there is no specific program and there's no specific approach that has yet been created to fix executive functioning. And me as a clinician, as someone who specializes in executive functioning and ADHD, I hear that and alarm bells instantly go right. off. Right. So this whole so that shows to me that Paul Tuff himself is thrust into this whole idea of programs, yes. structure, all of these things. So right. a big theme in this uh, chapter is we know the problem, we know it's the cognitive, we know it's a cognitive hypothesis, we know it's building executive functions, but what do we do to improve it? And I one thing in this chapter really, really, really stuck out to me. So it's on page fifty-one. So these KIPP schools. Uh, so the first group of them, uh, of the KIPP Academy in the Bronx, they earned the highest scores of any school in the Bronx and fifth highest in all of New York City. So clearly this skip, this KIPP school, this KIPP middle school was onto something. So these scores were unheard of at the time for an open admission school in a poor neighborhood. It led to a front page story on KIPP in the New York Times. And this group of middle school kids from KIPP, absolutely unbelievable what they accomplished. People were amazed that these kids in a low budget school, in a low budget area, kids with high ACE scores in, a, in, a, in, in this environment, how are they doing so well? What is KIPP doing right? But what ended up happening? So... Uh, we have it here where that many of the kids, so, but for many of the kids in that cohort, things didn't go as planned in high school. So once the kids left the KIPP middle school and yep. went on to high school, so many of them instantly went back yep. to the old ways. And there was one kid here who's, who had straight A's at KIPP. And then he was getting C's and he wasn't doing his work. And yeah, things and were, he actually and, said, I didn't yep. have the drive that I had yep. when I was at KIPP. He started coasting when he got to high school and his report cards were soon filled with C's instead of the A's and B's he'd been getting in middle school. The way they see it today, KIPP set him up for high school very well academically, but here it is, right? In the middle of the page on 51, but it didn't prepare him emotionally or psychologically. So, so that there is you go. the problem, right? And the very next sentence is yep. the answer to Paul Tuff's question. The very next sentence comes from the horse's mouth himself and comes from this student. We went from having that close-knit family at KIPP where everyone knew what you were doing. And then yep. he goes to high school where no one's on you. Yep. There's no one checking if you did your homework. Then we had to deal with all the stuff that everybody goes through in high school, just growing up, and none and none of us were really prepared for that. So he went from having a close knit family at KIPP to high school, 
where he was just another body, another yeah. student. No one cared about him. So, so there you have it. It set him up for this horrible failure, you know, to have yep. experienced so much success at an academic level, to have the bond, you know, to have that relationship. He called it a family, a close-knit family. Yeah. But then when that goes away, and now he goes to a, a regular high school that doesn't have a program, right? The problem is Kip was very focused on academic, you know, academic rigor. And so he, he wasn't prepared. When you take away the high structure, the accountability, um, they, these kids, these students were not prepared. And so what looked like it was going to be this huge success turned out to be nothing. To absolutely. Be nothing absolutely nothing. They're still focusing on academic rigor in isolation, only IQ scores, which has been shown to be very difficult to change after what, age eight? IQ is pretty well set after about yep. age eight. And yep. so why? What are we what are we doing? You know, and I think that's why you and I are so passionate about this topic. And, and Paul Tuff is constantly saying, we found the problem, we found the solution, but the solution is not one straightfold path because there's right. no program. That's so right. what is the answer? What needs to be changed? What are the two things that I'm constantly pushing every single week, every single Monday? Relationships and experiences, yep. period. And yeah. this is why I am so concerned. We talk about this book being written over 10 years ago now. Right. And things are worse now yeah. when it comes to because relationships and ex because of screen time and this yeah. tech world and this world of instant gratification. You yeah. know, the, the quarantine made it worse. It was out of our yeah. hands. I, we get it. But 100% relationships and experiences. What Kip right. was doing for these kids in middle school, it wasn't some outside the box crazy thing. The kid said it himself. It was a close knit family. family. The kids yeah. felt safe there. Relationships. They, they felt okay to ask questions. They, I'm sure they were doing tons of project-based learning. They yeah. were learning with their hands. They right. were interacting. It wasn't, so, it wasn't so much focused on academics. Right. It was focused on relationships, so, period. Somebody asked a while ago, and I, you know, they scroll by so fast, but somebody asked, how do you instill volition? How do you instill that, that whole, you know, or, or that self-motivation? Maybe that's what they asked. How do you instill that in a child or, you know, in a student? And one of the things that you and I have talked a lot about is we need learning to be relevant and meaningful. So that's mm -hmm. why, you know, um, mm -hmm. um, project-based learning, you know, where you actually have hands-on learning, where you're doing something. You're not just sitting there listening to a teacher talk at you and then doing worksheets, you know, and memorizing definitions and um, studying just so you can pass a test. That's the kind of education that nobody likes. Those are, that's when kids start to hate school. And so one of the things in this chapter, and I don't know if it's okay if we talk about this for a minute, but I actually have a book on this and it just it's so tough is high stakes education and high stakes testing. And so this is something that um, on page 56, he starts talking about high stakes American education includes advanced placement classes, excessive mm. amounts of homework, focus on standardized test scores. But the missing piece is, and they call it character, you and I would argue it is executive functions. There so you go. I'll show you this book. And I don't know that we'll ever get to this. You know, we have so many books we want to do in our book club. But Alfie Cohn is a very well-known um, person in education. Um, he is a little bit... Um, oh, what do I want to say? Out there. I mean, his, his, his <laughs> philosophies um, don't follow 
traditional education trend. And so one of my favorite books by Alfie Cohn is The Homework Myth. And he mm. debunks this whole idea. He said, other than when you're learning math facts and you're learning how to spell words, you know, spelling tests, other than that, there's really no evidence that shows that homework um, really does anything. And so, you know, I think about when I was in elementary school, homework was not something we hardly ever did. Now, when we got to middle school and high school, certainly, you know, we had big projects and, you know, you know, we did have some homework, but I don't understand kindergartners come home with a packet of homework on Monday that has to be done and turned in on Friday. They spend anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes a night doing homework. There are kindergartners crying. There are kindergartners asking for tutors. What are we doing? And why are we doing it? I want to see the evidence behind it, okay? And so um, anything by Alfie Cohn will really get you thinking um, because, uh, again, he is somebody who does not um, uh, believe in our current education system the way it's working. Absolutely. So we had that question before, how do you build volition? Mm -hmm. So let's, let's simplify that question. What's the real wor word for volition? It is resiliency. We need our students to be resilient so that they can sustain motivation past that initial motivational piece. And something Period. we talk about all the time on social media, Michael, yep. is um, the ability to complete non-preferred tasks, there right? You, go. you have to put your laundry away at home, right? You have to do your chores at home. You have to do this, this work at school. You have to read this book you don't care about at school. Every yep. single one of us, every single day, have to do non-preferred tasks. And so you have to have resiliency because if you don't have that, you're like, well, this is boring. This is dumb. I don't want to do this. I'm not going to do it. I refuse. And so that's where then they don't have that, that resiliency. They don't have the ability to fail. Once they fail, something's hard. That's hard. I don't, I don't like this. It's too, I'm not good at math. How often do we hear that? I'm not good oh, at math. Or I'm, I'm not, not a, good at writing. I'm not a math so guy. I'm a science guy. Yep. That's the um, uh, a fixed mindset. That's fixed mindset. Says yeah. They have a set of skills. And they there you go. Ever, they're not malleable. Everything's not permanent. Teachable. You cannot yep. learn new things. You cannot do hard things. Right. Yep. So this is where the idea, regardless of socioeconomic status, uh, um, um, you know, status, no matter where you are um, and, and what, you know, what kind of family you come from, every human being must have resiliency to be successful. So when we ask, how do children succeed? Right. We have to have motivation and we have to have resiliency. There you go. And, and, and the big question of this chapter is how do we increase volition? How do we increase resiliency? How do we make that happen? If we look back. Uh, on the previous chapter, there was some incredible research by the incredible group at the Harvard Center of the, of the Developing Child. And what did they show that increases resiliency? A positive, committed relationship. Yep. It's it always, always, it only takes one. It only takes one. It only takes one. And this kid, him, this kid said it himself from Kip, a close-knit family. It's yep. always going to come back to relationships. And you think about it. Uh, you know, there's so many kids today. I hear from parents every day. My son has no friends. He only plays with online friends. Uh, the, the social skills groups at, at school aren't working. He shows no interest in peers. He doesn't want to have friends. Social anxiety is on the rise. Depression is on the rise. Along with the cognitive hypothesis comes mountains of homework, yep. mountains of stress, mountains of anxiety. You don't have time to interact with your peers right. and teachers are under just as much stress yep. because teachers, because, yes. they, their, their class needs to perform and they have superintendents, principals observing yep. them doing their lessons and they don't have time to get to know their kids on an intimate level. They don't even have time, time teachers today 
don't even know what's on a kid's IEP or 504 in their class. They don't have, time, don't have time to read it. Yeah. And that's not the teacher's fault. It's the educational, no. it's, the, it's, it's a, a massive, massive problem. I was Somebody asked, what is a positive relationship, Michael? How, how would we define that? A positive relationship is two individuals that have social reciprocity, social relatedness, and feel safe together, period. So this whole idea of, of feeling safe, uh, fe feeling safe and feeling comfortable. It sounds so simple. It's not, it's not like fight or flight where you're running from an animal, you're sitting right. at a desk. It's someone that you can, you feel like you can be yourself around and not be judged. Right. Everybody needs that, whether you're 80 years old or one years old, period. So it is, the, it is literally the lifeblood of humans. Humans are yeah. social animals, period. Humans need relationships. And yeah. with, with, with a cognitive hypothesis, with high anxiety, high stress, focus on test scores. We are literally at the point now in 2021 where we are giving kids numbers, mm -hmm. numbers. Every single kid is just, this is your standard score. This is your age equivalence. Right. And right. hey, and, and we, we can talk for hours about how SLPs like ourselves mm -hmm. are just as guilty of this yeah. as possible because we, we, go through for, for, we go through graduate school and we take these diagnostic classes we learn how to give these tests. And one thing that I loved about uh, this chapter was you know, there were a couple of people, a couple of educational researchers that, you know, one person even said, I feel like America did this on purpose. So people would fall in line and they wouldn't, they, yeah. they would be able to, to listen to their bosses and not ask mm -hmm. questions. Yep. And, and it, it just, it just That feeds. was hard to read. Yeah. I think it, that it, we are trying to create on people who don't question, people who yeah. don't think for themselves, people who only do what they're told, which is that whole idea of, you know, we're putting little kids in um, in um, so many adult-directed activities. Two, three, and four-year-olds are already in organized sports, so they're only doing what they're what someone instructs them to do, so then no wonder their kids don't know how to have free play. You say, oh, exactly. it's free play, and they go, well, what do you want me to do? Or you just give them a bunch of arts and crafts materials. You give four or five, six-year-olds arts and crafts materials, and they go, what do you want us to make? Whatever you want. But how do we start? But what should I use? Do you want me to use markers or crayons? I'm like, you can do whatever you want, but I don't, can you help me? And I'm like, what the hell's going on that we're raising children who can't think for themselves? They don't have initiation. They can't, they can't, they're not creative. They're not curious. Michael, that is the thing I am so concerned about is this lack of curiosity. Let's there just you go. do what we're told to do. And that's why today, one of the big things that I see, at least in early childhood, is um, play in playtime. Children, I'm talking two to five-year-olds, expect to be entertained or instructed. That's what mm -hmm. they want for their free mm -hmm. time. They want, mm -hmm. That's why they like iPads and they like shows because they want someone to either entertain them. That's why they can't ride 15 minutes from their home to the daycare center without watching their DVD player in the car because they don't know how to be still. They don't know how to have a conversation. They don't know how to sing songs. They don't know how to look at books. They don't know how to initiate. They don't know how to be still. All they know how to do is be entertained or instructed every waking second of the day. Yeah, exactly. And, and when I read that, I, I'm, I'm reading so much of this and I, I like to reflect on myself, my past and my experiences. So when I, I look back at me in speech language pathology graduate school, and it's unbelievable how you basically just get thrown into this factory and you're just conformed into doing it. And we're taught how to administer tests, how to score tests, how to qualify students, right. all of these different things. And 
I feel like I wasn't as curious and I didn't speak up enough mm -hmm. and I just fell in line with everybody else. And I like, looking back on it, like I ended up graduating grad school with really good grades, 4.0, those sorts of things, mm -hmm. but it doesn't really matter. No one cares. No one, yeah. that, that, yeah. had nothing, that had nothing to do with my grades, but yeah. I, I could have stayed after class and had conversations with my teachers. Why do we have to test these kids so damn much? Mm -hmm. And there's mm -hmm. the self. And yep. there's the and there's the owls yeah. and yeah. there's the TNL and there's all these things. Right. And then all these standards for uh, for you need to be this many standard deviations you need right. to be this. It's ridiculous. We don't look and at function. How do 100. Function? It's insane. Are, you know, one of the things and I know I have it in here. I, I'm sure I do. There was a quote oh, on page 102. There are students who have incredible intellect, but don't necessarily channel it in the right direction. There are lots of kids who struggle with procrastination issues, even though they have the ability to get their work done. There are students who are dealing with real social and emotional issues, and the impact of poverty catches up, even with children who are resilient. That quote on page 102 just kind of caught me because I, we think about um, when we only look at IQ, which we were talking about high stakes testing, high stakes education, when we focus so much on on high stakes testing. We look at ACT scores and SAT scores and these standardized tests that school districts have to give every year. The problem is we are they're unfair. And I mean they are completely unfair because they only evaluate IQ. And high go. IQ does not mean I'm taking this from the book does not mean you have the tools to deal with difficult moments in life. So when mm -hmm. we look at education reform, which if Michael and I could run the world, this is, you know, this is what yeah, we're the first thing we do. We first thing we do fight for educational reform. These are the things that I see as changes, at least some of the changes we need to strive for. Reduce and limit the amount of homework. Homework should only be done if it extends learning in a way that is meaningful. Otherwise, there needs to be an emphasis on the family again. We have got to have family time um, uh, be something that this country values because right now, families don't matter, okay? So we need to reduce and limit the amount of homework. We need to reduce the emphasis on standardized testing and start looking at functional skills. And we need to start focusing on our executive function skills. Those are the things that if we could change our focus and our emphasis, and again, this doesn't cost tons of money, but the no. problem is in education, everybody wants something that they can check off. They want something that gives them a percentage. They want a standardized score. They want that. And so that is where this becomes difficult. And I think why Paul Tuff keeps interviewing and keeps writing because he's just as frustrated as we are. There you go. And, and I, I look at this and, you know, we're, we're the professionals, we're the licensed clinicians, and we go into this factory of education, focusing on the cognitive hypothesis. And so many of us, you know, if you're in OT, you think occupational therapy and sensory is the right way to go. If you're a speech, you think language runs the world. Mm -hmm. you, know, if, you know, if you're ABA, you believe in ABA. You know, it's, it's amazing that everyone just falls in line and believes right. what they want to believe. Instead of, and looking, at instead of looking at the, the, whole. the, the whole picture and what really, what really helps. Uh, and, you know, the, all of this work that we've done as speech and language pathologists, focusing on testing, 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 IEPs, data, 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 every kid needs a number label, all of these things. Parents who are not the professionals, who don't work with children, who aren't in this career field, they've kind of followed our lead. I'll never, I will never forget when I put up a post on my Instagram about uh, executive age. So executive age is typically three years minus your actual age if you have ADHD. 
So basically, if you're, you know, if you're 10 years old, if, you, if your actual age is 10, you have ADHD, your executive functioning level is more like a seven-year-old, your maturation-wise. Okay. And I remember I put up a post about that. And then I was shocked that after I posted that, like 15 different families emailed me that, of parents who I worked with. And they, and they said, hey, I saw your post. Can you test my son tomorrow? Let me know what his executive age is. And I just was just like, wait a second. There's no test for that, period. There's no, there's no test for that. There's no way for me to get a number on that. You know, it's an overall estimate of if you have ADHD, your executive function develop, developmental delay is about three years lag. But wow. all of them, all of them wanted me to sit with their kid, do this unbelievably rigorous testing, exhaust their kid, and give them actual data and a number and yeah. give it to them. Yeah. And, yeah. and here in Philadelphia, these extensive evaluations are thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And I have had parents come to me and say, uh, oh, we're going to go to this professional and get this evaluation. We're going to go here and get that evaluation. And, I'll say, and I say to them, look, those evaluations are not going to tell you anything you already know. Right. There, is a matur there's, there's a maturation delay. There is an executive functioning delay. This student needs more relationships. This student needs more experiences. Uh, the student is still very young. The brain is still very plastic. It is still developing. Please do not make your son spend three separate days of five, six hours doing testing yeah. when, he could, when he could be outside playing with his friends. Riding his bike, playing with friends. Somebody asked, so what do we do instead of sports, instead of the arts? Do we do free play, building forts, no parent? Yes, this is what it's about, is we need to reinstill true play. And I, I've been doing, I didn't even realize, I've kind of been doing a series on play every day. I do a daily post on Instagram, and I'm... I'm Michael works with the older kids. I focus on birth to five. And so my emphasis this past week, mainly because of our conversations that we've been having while reading, has been on what is true play. So go back. If you haven't read my post the past week, um, they talk a lot about what do children actually need. I think that post was two days ago. What do children need from I'm, I'm going to start recording the goosebumps on my arm <laughs> when I first read those posts. It is ridiculous. I like literally, literally all of Instagram needs to be shut down and sent to, 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 to your Instagram because it is, it is unbelievable at how you hit the nail on the head every single time. And the I one today, how you flip through, flip through, flip through, and it ends with play is disappearing. Yeah. Oh my God. If I you're, got it, so many people who if, were, they were like, this was unbelievable. amazing until I got to the last slide and then my jaw hit the ground. You there, know you I mean? because, there you go. There you go. it was something that I, I'm a writer. I mean, that's what I do. I love to write. And it only takes me a few minutes. Like, I'm writing my post for tomorrow. And once I get the idea, like, I just get so excited. And I just go, go, go. But, I mean, that just, I was literally creating the post on Canva. And that last slide, it just came to me. I mean, I was just like, oh, well, that's how I'm going to end it, you know. is But true play is disappearing. If you want to get down to it, screen-based play has replaced free play, right? Children there you go. don't know how to play anymore. They don't nope. know how to initiate play. And that's nope. why we need to be so concerned about um, really instilling these um, executive function skills in our children. Um, that one of the things, just I, I just have to, before I forget this, when we were talking about high stakes education, I love this. It said low stakes, low reward tests actually do a better job. So asking a student to complete something um, that really, it doesn't matter. You're not going to get graded on it, right? And there, this mm -hmm. is on page 69, right? It doesn't matter. It's not going to predict like what class or anything. But these low stakes, low reward tests actually do a better job. Kind of like the marshmallow study. Remember the yep. marshmallow study? Okay. Oh, yeah. Those 
those low stakes, low reward tests actually do a better job at predicting how well someone is going to do in life as opposed to high stakes, high reward tests such as the ACT or SAT. So when we say, oh, this kid got a 32 or got, you know, did great on this SAT or this, this ACT or this high stakes testing, great. But does he have any friends? I mean, like, I'm really curious. Yeah, does he have there any you go. Friends? Yep. Does he have a social life? Is he yep. depressed? Is he on antidepressants? You know, I care so much about the whole child. And that is why one of, you know, my favorite phrases is relationship-based learning. It's the only there thing I care about. Read my post tomorrow. That's what I'm talking about is relationship-based learning. I don't care about anything other than relationships with young children. Right, because as an SLP working on communication, we can embed our strategies into any interaction at all. It doesn't matter what the toy is. I don't care if we're out in the backyard. I don't care if it's snack time. I don't care if it's playtime. You're working with older kids. Are you bowling? Are you going to the museum? Are you playing a card game? Are you playing Uno? It's irrelevant. Communication is in every interaction that we do. So what we need to start doing is focusing not just on interaction, but focusing on relationships. Right? And yeah, somebody. I just love it. Somebody said it's called balance. Right? There you go. In the digital age, there's yeah. going to be screen time. We know that. But one of the questions I asked last week, and this is something that I, I now start asking parents is, how many non-screen experiences has your child had today? There you go. There you how go. Many? How many yeah. non-screen experiences has your child had today? Because we as parents, right, not even as therapists, as parents, we have to start instilling something called screen time mindfulness. Would you agree, Michael, that it's something we have to do? Has to, have to do, have to do. And so, so the number one thing is, what, like you say, screen time play is replacing actual play. Yes. And with screen time play, what is completely eliminated and it all comes back to- It's the visual relate. images, the self, what is it? You, you talk about this all the time. Nonverbal working memory, yes. visual imagery, the number one thing, the foundation for all executive functioning, all executive functioning starts with nonverbal working memory, period. So all executive functioning, self-regulation, self-motivation, yep. self-evaluation. You cannot, se you cannot say those se again, self-regulation, self-motivation, self self-evaluation. Self so we're talking, we're talking, stuff. we're talking about visual imagery. We're talking about mental movies self-regulate you cannot movies. that's you can, my favorite term you use you cannot self-regulate unless you can re-image the relevant past and learn from your past experiences and you can also visualize yourself in the past getting through that hurdle and recognizing right. recognizing that negative experiences right. are temporary and you will move on right. self self-motivation we now know that motivation is a future thought you cannot motivate unless you can visualize yourself in the future being successful at that task. Wow. So you cannot motivate yourself. There's no intrinsic motivation without visual imagery, period. Done. And guess what? Michael says this all the time. When you're in front of a screen, the, the image is already provided. So guess what you're not doing? You are you not making a mental movie. You are not you using visual imagery. So you guys, when we talk about why screen time is creating so many problems, it all comes back to that. When you read a book, what do you do? When you read a book, you create a, a, a mental, mental There you go. You, create, you have visual imagery. You think about yep. it. And Michael and I talked about this last week. That's why then when you see the movie after reading the book and you're like, oh, I didn't picture her looking like that. Or there I you never go. imagined that's what the castle looked like, right? Because we have this idea in our head and that's what's missing 
with all of this screen time. It's just, and I didn't learn this until I started hanging out with this amazing. There you go. So, mm. so, so every single, every single human being, when they're reading a book, they'll get through a page or two and they'll say, Oh, I zoned out. I need to go back and read those two right. pages again. That happens to everyone. But what we are seeing now with the youth of today is that is becoming an absolute chronic issue. They read one page, no idea what they read. Two pages, no idea what they read. Three pages, no idea what they read. And they quit. They and quit. What, They're Mike, done. You want to know what this they, they do then? They say they have language comprehension problems. It, uh, or, or, or the biggest thing, and I had to do a post about this because I kept getting so many questions from parents, was uh, auditory processing disorder. Yeah. The, uh, oh, it's, you just it, did a post on that. The, I, I had to because so many parents were saying, I don't think my son has executive functioning problems. I think they have auditory comprehension or auditory processing, processing a, 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 yeah. APD. Uh-huh. And it's, it's ridiculous. And, and once again, this is, you know, I, I can't help but feel responsible as be, having that license on my wall back there right. is we create this world of labels and right. numbers. And parents are always fishing for a label, right. for a number, all of these things. And in reality, in reality, it's so simple. Everybody wants like a quick cure. If we yep. knew what it was for sure, we could fix it. There is no fast, fast fix for anything. I'm going to tell Nothing. you that. Whether the child has a praxy of speech or has a language processing disorder or has executive fun- you know, dysfunction, whatever it is, there is no fast fix. So we need to actually figure out what it is. And the more I um, listen to Michael talk and the more I read about executive functions, the more I understand that my autistic son, my son is 16 and he is autistic, that he has significant significant um, struggles with executive function and yet yep. not one person has ever mentioned anything about it in any IEP meeting and he is 16 years old so you guys there you go. Is, please understand that even the professionals don't most of us do not know enough about executive functions and so I, I, I think that when I look at all the notes um, our skills now have changed from two skills to three skills academics executive functions and screen time mindfulness I almost think we have to make that like a new because we live in the digital age, you know what I mean? There has to be something that um, we start uh, uh, helping human beings self-evaluate. That's your term, right? Self-evaluate. Have Metacognition. I my screen yep. too much today? How much play-based movement, that's the term I use with toddlers and preschoolers, but how much movement have I had today? Have I been sitting in this chair? No wonder my ass hurts because I've been <laughs> sitting in this chair for eight hours. You know, no wonder my, my vision is going because I've been staring at the screen all day. So I think self-evaluation, it applies to adults too, right? It is not 100% that we're talking about with, with young kids or students. And the number one thing here, and for all of our listeners right now that have kids that receive services and all you SLPs out there, think about this. How many of your kids have had goals, social goals, for eye contact and topic maintenance and topic and, and conversational circles uh-huh. when the real issue is self-regulation right. and visual imagery. How many of our kids have had ridiculous sticker charts and reward oh. charts and all of these different things when the real problem was visualization and they couldn't visualize, they couldn't self-regulate, they couldn't self-motivate? Right. How, many, how many of our kids have had the same IEP goal year after year after year when the real problem is self-evaluation and right. they can't and they can't learn from past experiences. Yeah. There you have you it. One thing that I think is a therapist. Now you work with the older kids, so I really would like your feedback on this because this is something that I talk about. It doesn't work with toddlers and preschoolers, but I always say once kids are 
you know, past first grade or so, age eight and up, I think that children should walk into speech therapy and they should be able to tell you, okay, why are you here? Why do you come to speech therapy? To play games? No, that's not why you come to speech therapy. They should know their goals. They should be invested in their goals. If you're collecting data, the kids should be collecting data. They should be- There you go. Okay, how was that? That's self-evaluation. Okay, you're working on the K sound. Okay, you said tootie. You know, I mean, we have digital, we can record you. Did you say cookie or did you say Mm -hmm. tootie? That's Mm self-evaluation. But when we have high schoolers still in speech therapy, they don't, they don't even know what their goals are. They're like, I hate speech. I don't want to go anymore. Well, you know, then why are you going? I mean, if there's no self, if there's no intrinsic motivation to improve your speech, if there's no intrinsic motivation to get better at something, then why in the world are we doing it? I mean, we have got to get by in this, that um, self-evaluation is a key part of therapy. There you go, there you go. So when, I, when a parent first calls me to ask about the therapy that we provide, uh, the, the number one thing I constantly hear is uh, my son really doesn't wanna do this. My son thinks he has no problems. Right. He doesn't need therapy. Uh-huh. We've, tried all, we've tried all these therapies in the past. They instantly fail and things just get worse. And it, it gets to the point now where I just very quickly say to parents, look, get him to the first session. I will take care of the rest. Right. Because right. It's, it, it's, it's literally like, look, I don't know what these previous therapists were doing sitting on a couch with a clipboard, asking them how they're feeling and these sorts right. of things. Yeah, if you're, if, if, and, and, or sitting there doing worksheets with their right. kids, whatever it is. When you, come to, when you come to my therapy sessions, you're up, you're moving, you're acting things out, you're visualizing, you're talking to yourself. It is in no way, shape, or form anything that can be done with a book, anything right. that can be done with writing, any of those sorts of things. You are acting things out, you are doing life skills, you are setting goals, right. you, are, you are recognizing your growth points, uh, you're visualizing yourself being successful, you're building all of this positive psychology and this conscientiousness and all of these things right. we're talking about, whether you want to call it character, whether you want to call it volition, whatever right. it may be. Right. And, and the number one thing we also do is we build relationships. Yes. And I, in no way, shape, or form do I want the therapy session from last week to look like the therapy session no, from this upcoming never. week. Always changing it up, always providing new experiences, always pairing them with new peers, always throwing new things at them. They can't come to therapy knowing what to expect. And that's the number one thing. So one of the things that I think of, since I have a 16-year-old who, you know, is learning more independent life skills, if you will, you know, and really needs to focus on executive function skills, one of the things that I think is so helpful with older kids is to say, okay, one night a week, you're going to cook dinner. Well, I don't know how to cook. Well, I know, but you're going to, you know, what you have to start doing is planning. Isn't that what cooking a meal is? So, okay, what do you want to cook? Let's think about, you know, how are you going to find a recipe? I mean, everybody has a phone, you know. I mean, so it's it's teaching those skills, that planning skill. And then what food do we do you need to make whatever it is you're going to make? Do we already have that or do you need to go to the grocery store? Well, are you going to make a list? I mean, do you see all the executive function skills that are, and that's why what you're doing this summer at your at your clinic and doing yeah. community-based speech therapy sessions, executive function sessions is what makes sense. For me in early intervention, I love to meet families at a restaurant if they're going out for lunch to do our early intervention session or I meet them at Walmart or at the grocery store or we go to the park because life is where you practice your skills, right? So there I'm you go. there to coach parents. You're there to coach the student themselves because they're older. I work directly with parents and coach them on strategies to use. But I, when somebody, um, um, well, there's two things. One person said something like, 
you know, what about going to therapy sessions? Therapy is very adult directed. Well, mm. my therapy session isn't. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, I mean, and I'm pretty sure Michael's are going to look no. different than. So no. if you're going to a traditional speech therapy session where they're sitting down and doing drill work. I mean, I don't know. Are they getting anything from it? You know, because no. you have to make sure it's functional. Okay. So um, the way that I do therapy looks very different. And tomorrow my post is going to be um, uh, how to do speech therapy with a toddler, because everybody's always saying they won't sit still. I can't, do I need to strap them in a high chair? And I'm always like, they're not supposed to. Uh, why would you want no. to sit still? In what world have you ever seen a two-year-old sit still? So, exactly. Nothing about this. Somebody just said in California, they charge you extra if you want to have therapy outside the clinic. What? is happening. I mean, this is why Michael and I must drink on a daily basis because this <laughs> makes no sense. Okay. Absolutely no sense. But one other thing I have to comment on, and I wrote it down because somebody said some parents don't want to tell their child they have a diagnosis. So what I want to say is this soapbox. Okay. We have to start understanding that humans have a whole range of neurotypes okay and that there are always going to be i mean neurodiversity is part of the human genome okay there is there are always going to be people who learn differently and yep. so we have to stop stigmatizing saying oh because did you all know michael has a diagnosis you you're, you have adhd do you yeah, i sure do sure and do you have a, you own your own company and you pay your taxes and you're a functional member of society so what we have to stop doing is saying oh well you know like for me to say oh well my son has autism and we're looking for a cure and we want him to act like other kids no 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 i love my autistic son okay it's it's uh, um uh, instead of i i it's 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 he is autistic okay he's not a child with autism he doesn't carry autism around like a backpack it's not something you can put aside to make neurotypical people feel better he's autistic okay and i don't want sympathy i don't want empathy um, nope. autism isn't a tragedy adhd is not a tragedy some of the most brilliant minds uh, in all of time have That's been right. autistic and or ADHD. So That's let's right. be very clear that neurodiverse people have a lot to offer this world. And what we have tried to do is say, ooh, education is only for neurotypical people. We have to stop stigmatizing it, okay? And saying, oh, my son is dyslexic or my son has ADHD or my daughter is autistic or whatever it is and not say it in a way that says, oh, woe is me. Oh, poor, I, I have no pity parties, okay, about anything. And so um, I, I just think that we have to, I don't know, keep, and that's why I am a huge proponent of um, acceptance of different neurotypes, right? What, whatever, 100%. Instead of saying fix it. So what's the point of therapy then? People will sometimes call me out on this and say, well, if it's just a different way of being human, then why do we need to do therapy? No, no, no. It's still a disability. It still can hamper the ability to function at their fullest capacity. So we are still going to provide services, but they should be functional, right? Everything we do in therapy should lead to functional gains, not score higher on a standardized test um, by one standard deviation. I don't give a crap about that. Okay. And, how about, and how about this for a response? Every single human being, neurotypical, neurodiverse, can benefit from therapy, period. Absolutely. Done. Absolutely. Done. So, yeah. Simple as so that. When people say, well, our kids don't even know they have a diagnosis, 
that's wrong. That's, that's misleading. That's, that's covering up. Um, you know, my son, I did a post, one of my favorite posts every Sunday I post on my, on autism. And it's just something that my son has taught me during the week or whatever. And one of my most favorite posts, it was probably about two or three months ago is I cannot even remember what I said to him, but he looked at me and it was the first time I ever heard my son self-advocate. And he said, it's okay, mom. It's just the autism. Mm. And I was so taken aback by it because mm. I never heard him. That's self-evaluation. But he is at that point. There you go. Oh. He is starting to recognize it's okay, mom. It's because it's about his sensory. It's a lot of sensory quirks and things that yeah. bother him. And I'm, I must have said something about sensory. Something goes, it's okay, mom. It's just the autism. And he wow. was like, I was like so overwhelmed. It actually brought me to tears. So I was like, he's learning to self advocate to say, don't. It's okay. I'm still me. Love me unconditionally. There yeah, you go. I have some quirks, but who doesn't have quirks, Michael? Right. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. and you know, one of the biggest things, you know, I, I'm always going to reflect this back to speech therapy and parenting and everything is not only have we created this cognitive hypothesis where we focus on scores and numbers, but right. somebody somebody asked somebody mentioned before. Oh, next year my school is doing a socio-emotional curriculum. Oh, social emotional curriculum. Yeah. So so yes, that's great, wonderful. But another thing we've done besides getting focused on scores, if we've gotten focused on these one size fits all programs. Yeah. And it Curriculum's is absolutely like that. so yeah. if you look at all of the all of the, the bullet points and all the highlights that we point out that are the problems with today's education, all of the responses are cheap, they save money, and they are actually quite simple. We're not telling the entire world that they have to go get trained and certified right. in a program and put and put a, a put a thing on their wall. No, right. we're talking about varied experiences, increase relationships, and focus decrease on screen time. Decrease let's, screen let's time, all of these things. So you know we're talking about reducing homework, increasing family time, decreasing standardized testing, increasing right. relationships. Right. You know, this I'm not afraid to be controversial here, but if you're talking about Michelle Garcia Winner and, and her stuff, social thinking, you know, it's become almost like a taboo mm -hmm. to say something negative about that program. Well, guess what? It's not one size fits all. Yeah. And it's a little bit more towards, you know, high functioning autism or Asperger's yeah. kids. Uh -huh. It's not going to work for kids with executive functioning problems. No. It's no. okay. It's okay to say Michelle Garcia winner social thinking is not appropriate for here. Montessori right. as well. Montessori is fantastic because there's no set true Montessori curriculum. Each school is different in how they teach life skills. Right. Every school is different. Every community is different. Every state is different. Every student is different. Every right. population is different. Enough of these certifications. Oh, I have to right. be prompt. I have to be prompt certified. Oh, right. I have right. to be right. DIR certified. Yeah. Oh, how many certifications do you have? Are you Wilson trained? Are you right. Orton Gillingham? Are you Gillingham. are you or are you are you Linda yeah. Mood Bell? Enough. Right. You're right. a speech therapist. You have a master's degree. You have a degree in special education. So guess get what? get to know your kids. Get That's to know right. your it kids. Treat the individual. We are clinicians, not technicians. Okay, that's go. one of my favorite statements. I can't remember which speech therapist I heard say that, but that's really powerful. Because when you're trained in a program, you just become a technician. Oh, I just have to implement this curriculum and do it the same way every time regardless. No, no, no. We are clinicians, which means we are going to ebb and flow. We're going to adjust. We're going to make accommodations, modifications. We're going to do what the, you know is appropriate for the child. One of our, our listeners, Michael, said the most fabulous thing. And I just have to, I think this is a great way to end it, even though I didn't get through all my notes, but I think we better stick to an hour. <laughs> I, yeah. But she said, what we need to focus on is giving kids the tools to manage their own life. There you go.
How and that, there you go. is that? There you go. And, and dividing fractions is not going to help them their yep. own life. Knowing yep. who won World War II is not going to help them manage their own life. Simple yep. as that. It yep. is executive functioning that is going to help them manage their own life. The academic skills are not going to help them pay bills, are not going to help, help nope. them make friends. We any of those things. It's kind of like balance a checkbook. We don't no. teach them, I mean, we don't teach them basic skills anymore, right? It's, so it's insane. And which it's is insane. why now you keep saying this, and I, I want to reiterate is giving children varied experiences is the yep. most important thing you can do. So stop buying them a, a tangible gift and give them um, a membership to a museum. Give them yep. a membership to an uh, you know I don't know to. A, uh, somewhere where you can go, you know, to um, different um, stimulating. I don't know. We got we went to an auction. Um, it was a fundraiser for our church's preschool. And I was so excited to bid on here in Kansas City. We have the World War Two Museum. And so I bid on tickets and won them because nobody else wanted to go to the World <laughs> War Two Museum. And I'm like, that's a varied experience. Like, I there you go. Then I can't wait to take Aaron to the World War Two Museum because how cool is that? Right. So if we could start focusing on. Oh, what's my favorite thing? I think instead of presence p-r-e-s-e-n-t-s -E we focus on presence p-r-e-s-e-n-c-e -E. there you go presence you go. over tangible presence right when you and look you back doing yeah. that when you look back at your educational career elementary middle high school do you remember any random day in the classroom or do you remember the field trips you went on oh Think That's about that. Think about I, that. I played violin, so I, in an orchestra, we would go, yeah. go to Chicago, and we would go to New Orleans, and we would go to different places. That's what I remember, and I remember the relationships with all of the people in orchestra, and you know, my my friends in, in you know in French in my French class. We had oh my gosh, oh I. That's what I remember. I don't remember any one single day in school. That's it. I that's remember it. decorating yeah. each other's lockers for our birthdays yep. in high school. That was a big thing when I was there, in high school. I mean, there you go, you know, because that was a, that was a relationship based ex yep. relationship based experiences. And um, not only do you remember the field trip, but you remember the bus ride, yep. sitting next to your friend, the looking hotel, out the window, playing the games, hotel, the hotel. Yeah. That's what you remember. That's I remember every hour of my field trips. There you have it. And it, it's a shame that kids graduate from high school. Give kids, kids field trips anymore, hardly. So, so kids graduate from high school from a little suburban town or whatever it may be, and they there's parts of the town they've never even been to. Yep. You know why are you why are you know why aren't they doing nature walks? Why aren't they doing nature trails? Why aren't yep. they oh, getting get get to get to know local business owners? Right. Uh, go check out the 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 senior citizens' homes in the towns. You know what you need go to do, do these is things. you need to go on vacation in your own city. You need to yeah. Google what to do in Kansas City and then yep. go to those places. What to do in Des Moines? What to do in Philadelphia? Yep. Pretend you're a tourist in your own city and you will give your child and your family varied experiences. It's what Michael is doing this summer with his um, uh, students that he's working with. Follow him on Instagram if you're not because it's so cool to see all the places they're going and yep. all the skills they're learning and all, most importantly, because let's remember this, all the relationships they are building because what does it mean to be human? How are we different from other animals? Because we have relationships that last, right? They are supposed to last. And we talked before, reduce homework time, increase yep. family time, reduce standardized testing. How about you make it mandatory for every student to do something after school? And someone mentioned before sports. You know, later on in this book, you're going to learn about a, a highly effective chess team and, mm -hmm. a, and, and kids that were on a chess team. And that was a sporting event. You know, right. schools have all these extracurriculars,
but kids don't sign up for it because they're, it's new, it's different, it's scary, it takes right. them away from their gaming time, and parents don't enforce it because parents don't want to be the bad guys. Right. Let's make, let's make scouts, yeah, yes, scouts all these things. So yes. after school things, uh, after school activities, you know, school get ended, ended two o'clock, buses and pickup shouldn't be until three o'clock. There right. should be an, an hour of elective, elective groups. The last and, class of the day should be about relationship building time, right? Absolutely. Where you meet with people who have similar interests. So maybe you build, build Legos. I mean, my daughter is 24, almost 24. And her and Erin, um, I always get her a huge Lego thing for her birthday. Like one that has like, you know, 3,000, 5,000 pieces. And her and Erin will spend like two months doing it. She'll come over and spend like an hour with them, you know, every, every few days. And for her, she still loves doing Legos. So that's why my oldest daughter, my middle daughter doesn't like Legos. My oldest and Erin and isn't that cool? He's 16, she's 24, and they have built a very strong relationship because Legos is something they can do together. Isn't that beautiful? It's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and yeah. A, a lot of the schools here in the Philadelphia area do this thing called Best Buddies, where the kids from the special education class get paired with people that sign up and choose to do this. And each person, you know, oh. in, in the typical class gets paired with someone in special ed and they're best buddies and they're, mm -hmm. and they're like, they're like peer mentors together. They uh -huh. do events together throughout the year. Why is that not a mandatory thing? Why is not every 12th grader mm -hmm. in that district assigned to an eighth to grader? Freshman. You know, yeah, like why aren't, why aren't there peer mentors that yeah. stick with each other every year and shadow each other, do events together? You know, think about high school and how clicky it is where yeah. all, the, all the sports guys hang out, all the nerds hang out, right. all the music people hang out. Why are we not finding ways for different people to interact and different people right. to get to know each other? Right. It's as simple as that. It is, and it needs to happen. Somebody said well, it's hard for some kids to extend their school day. Michael and I aren't talking about extending it. We're no. saying replace yeah. one of the academic classes yep. with a relationship-based learning type environment. And maybe At the end of the day, like yeah. More like um, project-based learning. Hey, we're going to have, so we're going to have, we're going to be baristas and we're going to serve coffee. Um, there you go. Coffee for um, people and we're going to earn money for student council. But the people who are interested, who love coffee, I don't know, we're going to learn to make designs in our coffee like they do at Starbucks. I'm just saying we need to take deep interests, special interests, because not all of us have the same interests. Is that fair to say? Not everybody is interested in football. Not everybody is interested in, in the Olympics. I don't know. I mean, my son needs to hang out with people. My son is so excited about the Olympics. Every day he wakes up and goes, 11 days till the Olympics. You know, I mean, he knows the countdown. He is so ready for July 23rd. He lives for the Olympics. Isn't that kind of cool that he's so excited about the Olympics? And it's amazing. He cannot wait. I mean, it's just, and I wish he had other kids he could hang out with who love the Olympics, but Michael doesn't live near me. I don't have to set this up. But I'm like, I just wish we were better at forming and focusing on relationships, just in general. 100%. And someone just said here, we need to figure out how to get this out to the people that are in power and make the changes you talk about because we are just preaching to the choir. Yep. Well, all you people out there, continue to spread the word about these yes. Monday chapter chats. Yep. Share, share it with your friends. Let them know. Tune in. And number two, have faith in the two people you're looking at right now. Yes. In no way, shape, or form am I going to spend my Monday nights preaching to the choir. This yep. information yep. is going to get out there, and there's yep. going to be change. I, one, I, I believe it. Yep. I'm, yep. I'm, using my, I'm using my mental movies. I'm using my visual imagery. Yes. And I see, I, yes. I see the change. 
I've been yeah. working. I've been working on my executive functioning, my relationships, my experiences. This right here with Carrie and me. This is relationship-based experience right here. It is because the, it's the two. There you go. And this is what's going to bring the change. Relationship-based learning is going to bring relationship-based learning. So there's going to be change, and we are yep. not going to waste anyone's time. No. So thank you for joining us. We would love it if you would share. Um, Michael is working on getting these turned into a podcast, so they yeah. be available. So we're going to try to, you know, I know not everybody is available on Monday night, um, but we really um, appreciate your comments and your participation. Um, it means a lot to us. That's why we're doing this. I mean, Michael and I could just sit and have a Zoom meeting one-on-one -on -one if we, you know, didn't want yeah. to involve you guys. But we That's are true. super excited to have your participation. And again, we just appreciate you getting the word out there because we would like to talk to more than, um, you know, just a few dozen people every week. So share it and help us build this. And Michael and I will not disappoint. Okay. So, so every single person that's here tonight, right now, go to Carrie's page right now, because this is instantly saved to your page, correct? Yep, it is. So as soon as we hit stop, and I hit save, it's yep. on my page. And so, Michael, you can share it, and then everybody yep. can share it. Every single person right now listening, share this chapter chat to yep. your story and write every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern. Let's right. get, you know, eventually we're going to have 500, 600, 700, goal, 700 you know, people. Like 500 it's people going to happen and it's going to happen because of you guys, the people that have been with us since day one. So yes, spread the word. Every single person share it. Maybe we'll do some sort of giveaway sometime for you yeah, guys sharing and who should. knows. I think we yeah. Should. We'll yeah. figure something Maybe out. Maybe what we'll do, Michael, how about if we give away the second book? We'll like give oh, away Amazon, okay. you know, we'll just have the book shipped to them. So Great idea. Um, I think next week we're going to do that. For whoever joins next week, Michael and I are going to randomly pick. I don't know how we do that, but we'll figure it out. Yeah. We're going to pick somebody. Um, the and OGs. We'll have the book shipped to you for the second book club, okay? Yep. Everybody spread the word. And yeah. hey, if you're worried about us preaching to the choir, you guys are a part of this too. This is a community, yeah. the chapter chat community, CCC, right. like the CCCs. Right. So CCC. it's all, it. all of us, the chapter chat community, everyone, ship, spread everyone. the word. Monday's at eight o'clock. Be there or be square, period. <laughs> and it's going to happen one book after another. It's never going to yeah. stop. We're, nope. there's, too, there's too many books out there for us to ever stop. We'll be doing That's this for right. years. So That's please, right. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. And it's going to happen because of you guys. That's right. So thank you for joining. We'll see you next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, right here on Instagram Live. Thank you guys so much.